You're listening to Deal Talk with 7MA, providing invaluable insight into investment banking and the M&A space through honest conversations with industry thought leaders, business pioneers, and innovators. We'll pull back the curtain and give you the inside scoop on trends in our targeted industries and provide you the tools to better position your company in today's market. Welcome back to another episode of Deal Talk with 7MA. We have a very exciting episode today because it's actually our first ever all-female episode of the podcast. So today I am welcomed with Amber Walsh, who is a partner at McGuire Woods. Welcome, Amber. Thank you. I'm really glad to be here. So Amber is not only a partner at McGuire Woods, but she also heads up their healthcare practice as well as their Women in Private Equity initiative Amber, I'll go ahead and let you give a little bit more information on your background, kind of how you ended up here. Sure, absolutely. Thank you, Ariel. So I have um, been a healthcare transactional attorney for my entire 17 years of practice, and I've been at McGuire Woods for nearly that entire time. Four of those years, I have led the healthcare group, as you mentioned, chairing a team of 50 attorneys and many more support staff with those attorneys. One of the uh, most powerful things that I have done in my career is outside of my role as a healthcare transactional attorney, and largely because my practice has evolved to where probably about 50% of my time is spent in private equity-backed healthcare, so working for portfolio companies, working for investors as they are investing in different healthcare sectors. Because of that, I have co-led our healthcare private equity initiative for nearly a decade with my partner, Jeff Cockrell, and a whole host of other partners at McGuire Woods. So private equity and the intersection of healthcare and private equity has been really important for my career and is largely what I focus on. Within that, and not focused on healthcare, but focused on all private equity, is an effort that I founded and got wonderful support from the firm, my colleagues, and our clients was the Women in Private Equity Initiative. And as you mentioned, Ariel, that's how uh, you and I have connected, and the support from Seven Mile Advisors in our initiative has been really appreciated and one of the many fun aspects of that initiative. Yeah, so this initiative is something that obviously took a lot of energy and financial backing from the firm. When you originally decided to kind of go after this and put some resources behind it, what were the biggest factors that kind of helped you get buy-in from a firm the size of McGuire Woods? Yeah, that's a great question. I received very, very little pushback. At first, maybe some head cocking of, huh, really? Is this something that we would get involved in? And it's more of a social engagement, right? It's more of a public service engagement. But very quickly, I think my McGuire Woods colleague recognized that private equity industry in general has become increasingly more focused on advancing women in private equity for a number of reasons. Um, there are a whole host of factors that are driving the industry to care about increasing the portion of women who choose private equity as a pathway, 
stay in, become deal makers, become leaders and founders, or a whole host of reasons. Our firm recognized that, and when our industry that we serve as our clients care about something, then it makes it easy for us to care about it too. And it just feels right. And it is consistent with McGuire Woods' overarching focus on elevating women within our firm. So while this um, may have been one of the first things where the firm focused on elevating women outside of our own legal community, it was something that was a natural extension of what we already do and care about internally. So when you were originally kind of jumping into this new initiative, was there ever a point before you started that you kind of had an aha moment and were like, that's the reason I need to jump into this? Was there ever a room you were in or a setting you found yourself in and you said, that's why this is the reason I need to pursue this initiative of supporting women in private equity? Or was it something that had kind of built up in the years to come um, where it was something you felt like you should pursue Yes, that's a great question. It had been kind of bubbling up for a few years. I've always been fascinated and had tracked very closely some of the empirical data around the role of women in private equity. Prequin publishes an annual study that's fascinating that compares every year the, the small improvements that are being made, or in some cases, the, uh, the years with plateaus. So I've always been interested in that. I have certainly experienced anecdotally the impact of having a deal team that has fewer female voices. And while our firm has an unusually high proportion of women, the deal teams with opposing counsel, with the firms, with the investment bankers, et cetera, were always uh, shockingly sparse um, when it came to the population of women. So this is something that I had noticed for a long time. To be perfectly honest, I'm going to blame a a pair of high heels at the J.P. Morgan conference on what put me over the edge of we're going to do something about this. We're going to build a network of women in private equity, and we are going to start making a more concerted effort to elevate their profiles. really was that pair of high heels. It was the end of the day, San Francisco, and for anyone who's ever been to the J.P. Morgan Conference for Healthcare Private Equity, it is an absolutely frenetic pace of nonstop meetings all over San Francisco, doing as many different small meetings as possible. But it requires you to be on your feet and moving. And it was at the end of the day... And I was meeting um, with a woman that I've known for years that I have a ton of respect for. We've actually uh, profiled her in our Women in Private Equity profile series. It was the last meeting of the day, and we were both visibly pained by our high heels. And I can't remember if she said or I said, let's just kick them off. Let's just kick them across the room. Let's just relax, enjoy And we can't do this with the men. They don't have to wear the high heels. And that's a very small and very silly thing to notice. But it is one of the many crosses that we were bearing that week. And it occurred to me at that moment, for some reason, that we as lawyers did not have to be mere observers of the phenomenon of 
women in private equity languishing, making only small improvements in our numbers, that we could actually be a force of movement. And so, yes, silly as it is, it was a, a pair of painful high heels. But from there, I went back and we started our network and all of the components of the initiative, which involves network building in person events. It involves writing. It's about the phenomenons and the different trends going on within uh, private equity that impacts women directly. And what a big part of it is our profiling of women to elevate, profiling both rising stars and veteran leaders in private equity who are women to showcase what you can do and how you can kind of break through the door and have a very successful career, difficult as it may be, there are rewards. So that's, that's kind of what kicked it off. And that's kind of the, the components of the initiative as well. Well, I'm certainly glad you guys ended up having that conversation over a pair of heels because I do think it is so important that people start having those conversations. I know kind of looking at it from the lens on the investment banking side, I see many, many more women kind of on the lawyer side coming to McGuire Woods events and crossing paths with you guys. It's nice to see that people are putting the time and the effort into having the conversation about getting more women in the room. Because like you said, I'm looking on the deal team side and at any one time we may have one female on a deal team within seven mile. We've recently hired some new female associates. So luckily that number is getting up to potentially two and three recently, but there's always so much more room for improvement. I look at when I first joined the firm, I was the second woman to come on of a team of around 16, 17 people. And since that time, we've brought on three, four additional women. And I think a lot of it comes from having the conversation that we can't just say we support women in private equity and we support women being investment banking. We kind of have to also extend that branch and actively looking at how can we bring more people into the fold. And like you're saying, it all starts with that conversation. So interestingly enough, I had my own high heel conversation at a recent event that we co-hosted up in New York. So you can kind of start a lot of conversations around high heels, I think, as women we know. But that event was a fantastic way to kind of network with a different geography of women who work in the industry. But when we were there, you brought up a really important point about the differences in how men and women, how they interact and specifically how they network with their peer group in terms of professional development. I would love for you to kind of talk about the research I know that you've done in that space and have read about and kind of what what you see going on there. Yeah, absolutely. I am fascinated by networking generally and the different ways that women and men network. And that's essentially what our Women in Private Equity Initiative is. It's a network and it has the goals that a good, healthy network should have. And we're soon going to be publishing a piece on this, but I have read extensively. There is a fascinating study from Rutgers. There's another one from Harvard that I'll be quoting. Um, Rachel Thomas at leanin.org frequently comments on this, all focusing on how women network 
as compared to how men network, um, different elements of that, how you build networks, how you use your networks. What's interesting, just to kind of preview and kind of taking all these different pieces together, men tend to be, and this may not come as a surprise because it's somewhat natural. We've probably all observed this, but not really realized the impact that it can have on your career and advancement. So men tend to make networks that are broader, but shallower and more transactional focused, meaning that they expect their networks to give them something and they come into those networks with short-term goals. I intend to achieve these short-term goals and I expect my network to give that to me. Whereas women, by contrast, we tend to form longer, smaller, and deeper networks that are based more on trust than on transactions, and often don't use them as effectively to to accomplish goals. There's a Kellogg study in particular that asked the question, what happens then when women start to network like men? And they observed some interesting things that were not as favorable in terms of long-term happiness for the women involved in the study. So what I have gleaned from this, and this is what we're going to be writing on, is that there's some natural combination of skills that women can learn to use their networks better and more like men do in an effective fashion, but not to lose the things that make us who we are, not to lose our empathy, not to pretend to be what we aren't but to find ways to meld those wonderful aspects of being a woman with some of the effective network use that the men have achieved. So and I'll leave you with a, a last little funny story. It's one of the more interesting things, and I dispute this, and at this point it's an eight-year-old study, so I hope LinkedIn will re-up their study. But LinkedIn in particular um, had a study about the industries where they thought women were more networking savvy versus where men were more networking savvy. And their definition of that was if you to label an industry as female savvy is that you had to have a greater portion of the participants being female and that more than, by their definition, 70% of the connections made were made by female. That would be a female-savvy network. And then the opposite, of course, would be true for a male-savvy network. And the results were that men took the fields of law enforcement, capital markets, which is not surprising, that's what we're talking about here, medical practice and healthcare. And surprisingly cosmetic. Women, on the other hand, took the fields of international trade, alternative medicine, alternative dispute resolution, and, oddly, tobacco and ranching. So I, I am fascinated by that study. I'm not sure what to do with it. And I hope that LinkedIn will do a renewed version of that to uh, tell us what is the case in 2019. I do too. I think that would certainly be interesting to kind of see where that pans out. 
But I think for women, what we have to constantly remind ourselves is that asking for what we want and being assertive in our working relationships and our networking relationships, it's okay. I think we're very much used to wanting to go with the flow, not worry about bothering somebody, whereas men aren't really too concerned about bothering someone. And so I think we just kind of have to shift the perspective in terms of people are entering these networking relationships so that they're mutually beneficial. So being able to ask for what you want out of the relationship and taking steps to move towards that, as women, we just have to constantly remind ourselves, that's not a bad thing. It's not, you're not going against the grain. You're not going to, I keep using the word bother because that's kind of something that I've seen come up from a lot of other women um, in terms of professional networking and just working in the workplace that they just constantly do not want to bother someone. And that's just kind of, they've grown up to be quiet and sit in the background. So I, I think that's especially relevant here where people are entering these relationships for a reason and you need to be willing to make that commitment to get back out what you're putting into it. So I know just over the past year and a half that I've kind of been tracking this women in private equity initiative that you guys have been launching. It's, it's amazing the growth and just the, the growth in the events in terms of the size and the just general outreach that I've seen from you guys. But if you were to look up in five years, what are you hoping to have accomplished with this? Where would you like this organization to be? I would love to uh, look up in five years and see that the results of this network building and us using our voice and our platform in this way has made some strides on both a micro level within our network for individuals and on a macro level. So on a micro level, very simply, I want to see elevation of women in our network within their own firms, be it within private equity funds, um, the formation of independent sponsors, um, founding new funds within investment banking communities, within lenders, advancing into more of the lead deal investor role. I would love to see that, the elevation. Along with elevation, retention. I would love to see more deal flow moving, not just between women, because we're, we are not doing this initiative to the exclusion of the men who are supporting us. I would like to see deal flow moving to funds who are supporting women. I would like to see that be more of a conscious effort. And it is starting to go on. There in one of the articles that we've written on the nine trends of women in private equity, we actually delved into that about the insistence of some institutional investors, some LPs on when they're going to co-invest, when they're going to invest in a new fund, being driven by the amount of diversity generally within the fund. So these things are starting to happen. I would like to see it happening more. And on a micro level, that means for the women who are part of our network. On a macro level, I'd love to see the numbers move. I, I adore the frequent study that I mentioned earlier because it tells us on an annual basis, are we moving the needle? So 
Creek One will tell us if all of the players who are focused on the advancement of women in private equity are really having an impact. And there's a lot of us. I know, obviously, Seven Mile Advisors cares about this. You're doing things internally and externally. We do KO, WAVE. There are several organizations, and I will even applaud other law firms who are starting to really care and put their voice in the mix. I applaud that. I hope that all of us can have some impact and we'll see it um, in those frequent reports. So that is what I would think would be success. So looking more at the broader world of women in private equity, how have you kind of seen women's roles change? Are you starting to see more women in the deal-making and leadership positions of teams at a higher percentage than maybe you did 10 years ago? Or have you really seen that needle move too much in terms of the role women are playing? It's moving. It's moving more slowly, I think, than we would like to see, but it is moving. And in some ways, it's moving because women are taking the reins of forming their own funds. This is starting to happen a little bit here and there. So, yes, I think that it is moving. I've certainly seen it both anecdotally on the composition of the deal teams that I'm involved in. But also, as we're constantly thrilled every time we see an elevation in title, every time we see a woman who becomes a partner, every time we see a woman who joins a group, be it all female, which is incredibly uncommon, or um, with other men to found a fund. It's really encouraging. And it is happening. And and there are examples of it. It's just not happening very quickly. Yep. And I do kind of feel that swell. So it'll be interesting to see 10 years from now where we think that needle has moved because we are seeing more women. Um, It's interesting. I do run across more women in business development roles and more of support and business support roles more so than I do necessarily in a deal maker role. So it'll be interesting to kind of see that shift hopefully happen over the next few years. I think we would all love, love to see women start to take the reins a bit more. So women in business helping women in business. I know this is a big kind of broad women in business topic that we hear, hear a lot about in terms of your story coming up in this industry, were there any women that were influential to you or women that were kind of turning around and helping you come up behind them in any way? Well, I certainly had the benefit of many supportive women at the firm. But honestly, my the most impactful relationships of my career as a young attorney in a transactional healthcare practice were male mentors. And and that's okay. Men who actually care about elevating women, men who are focused on working with their most talented colleagues in whatever way they need to work to get the job done and retain that talent. Those are incredibly important mentors. Scott Becker, for me, was one. He was my predecessor in leading the healthcare group, still one of my partners, and most important mentor relationships. It doesn't have to be women mentoring women. If you are in a 
an industry or a firm where you're looking around and you can't find the women. Hopefully, you will soon find the woman or maybe you will become the woman who is the mentor. But until that happens, you can have some very healthy, effective mentor-mentee relationships with men. Quite often, those are men who have daughters that they care about. And that's something that I have observed is some of the most influential and enthusiastic men mentoring women often have daughters. It's not always the case. It's it's not a one-to-one relationship, but it is something that I have observed and enjoyed observing. I think that's a really important point because I know there's a lot of studies out there that show that employees who have active mentors end up having faster career advancement, higher income, longer career longevity. So if you look at it in terms of saying, I'm a woman, I'm looking for only a female mentor, the odds may not be in your favor in terms of finding a female mentor, especially depending on the industry. So I think it is important that women, as they're looking for that kind of mentorship program and who they can potentially kind of model themselves behind, I think it's important that they are open to the fact that, especially in our industry, that mentor may end up being a male. And I think it's really important that the men in our industry also keep their eyes open and be sure that it's okay for them to mentor women, like you were saying, support the the, the best people in your firm, no matter what their gender is. Um, and I definitely think that is something I have seen much, much more widely, not just across this industry, but really kind of industry agnostic is more men willing to make that commitment to bringing up the next level of women behind them. So kind of moving over to a little bit softer subjects, I've heard a few other women in the industry who have children and families and are kind of juggling it all. I would love to know kind of your perspective on how you've seen the idea of work-life balance change over the past 10 years as there are more women in boardrooms that are juggling family family life and work life? Well, certainly, um, I'll take this from a couple different angles. First of all, I have to tell you that over the past several years, it has graded on my nerves the phrase having it all. More and more, that is a phrase that has bothered me because it implies it is often used in the context of women who choose to continue to work and are also choose to be married and have children and have these things. So having it all, I think, is a phrase that has unfortunately come to refer to having those things. And I think it is much more important that you have the things that you want and that there be the opportunity for women to choose the things that they want. And so either it is a new definition of having it all, or we just don't use the phrase having it all, but more having what we choose to have and making sure that our industries give women the opportunity to have the things they want, not necessarily having it all. I think that's really important. I think that is 
starting to be recognized more that you are not a lesser woman if you have chosen not to have children. You are not a lesser woman if you have chosen to come out of your career and raise your children or start a new business at home. That, to me, is the the balance element that I think is really important to recognize. But taking the, the separate element of this, for those who do choose to stay in the traditional workforce and have children and choose that combination of uh, things, then I do see that firms of all shapes and sizes in many industries, certainly within law firms, we have absolutely made great strides within our own firm, but also within private equity firms, offering alternative programs, opportunities to make it easier to balance the things that you have chosen to do. So in one of our articles, for example, we talk about KKR's program that covers women looking to freeze their eggs and paying for breast milk supplements during business trips and things like that. Those small things I do think can go a long way, but the most important far above programs like that is simply having women be there to support each other and provide examples to each other. That is more important than any one program But it is kind of nice to see that firms are trying to do what they can to make additional investments in their talented people to make it work. Yeah, and I think that's a really important point that you made about how having it all looks completely different for everyone. And that as women, we really need to challenge ourselves to be supportive no matter what journey we see our peers on and being sure that we are actively not feeling defensive because maybe we didn't choose that same journey. And so our career is looking different. Our home life is looking different. So I think just the general idea of acceptance and women continuing to support women who are maybe choosing a slightly different path than themselves I think that's one of the the biggest things that I hope people get out of these female networking kind of ideas. So as we're wrapping up here, I'm going to leave you with one final question. So if you could go back and give first year associate you a pep talk or a glimpse into the future, what would you say? I would say that it's okay to feel a little uncomfortable in a situation that will make you better. Just because you are the newest person to the deal team, just because you're the only woman in the room, just because you've never done a private equity-backed dental deal, a little discomfort is okay. It, for me, was always a huge motivator, and I think it is for many people, Um, But women in particular, I think, have a tendency to want to be 100% experts and 100% comfortable before they try something. And I would tell my younger self, you don't have to. You just have to try. 
make a reasonable amount of prep work, and then try. Do it. A little bit of discomfort will be a really good motivator for you. And on the topic, to extend that thought, to tie it back to the previous conversation about the choices we make as women, I would also tell my younger self, before she had the two children that she now has, that you will never really feel like you have every aspect of your life 100% together. Shonda Rhimes has this great quote that says, Whenever you see me succeed somewhere in one area of my life, that almost certainly means I am failing in another area of my life. That is the trade-off. That is the Faustian bargain one makes from the devil that comes with being a powerful working woman who is also a powerful mother. You never feel 100% okay. You never get your sea legs. You are always a little nauseous. I love that quote by Shonda Rhimes, and I would tell my younger self, yep, that's pretty much what it's going to feel like, and that's okay. I love that. Yeah, growing up with a working mom, one of the things that she always instilled in me is you can definitely have it all, but you cannot have it all at the exact same time, and that's okay. Kind of the same thing. You don't have to be killing it in all all aspects of your life at the same time. You're doing just fine. You're doing way, way better than you think you actually are. Absolutely. I think our moms, also having a working mom, I think our moms would have gotten along really well. And I enjoyed this time. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. And would you like to give just a little bit more information if people are looking into the McGuire Woods Women in Private Equity Initiative where they could potentially find some additional information? Absolutely. So our Women in Private Equity Initiative is actually housed on a microsite within McGuire Woods. So you can go to, you can email me at awalsh at mcguirewoods.com, but you could also go to mcguirewoods.com and in the services um, bar, there's a page for our women in private equity. And what it has is all of our events. It has all of our thought leadership. I mentioned a couple of those and I will be publishing a networking piece there. It also has all of the women that we have profiled in our profile series, and there are close to 20 women at this point um, that we have profiled. And then we will occasionally put on there just some congratulations and kudos when we see really cool things happening um, within the private equity and lending industries that influence women. So thank you for asking. That would be a great place people could go. Great. And I think we all look forward to see what exciting things women are pulling off next in the industry. So thank you so much again. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Deal Talk with 7MA. You'll find more information and resources based on today's discussion exclusively on our website. If you're looking to dive deeper into today's topics, head to 7mileadvisors.com to speak to one of our bankers today. That's the number 7, M-I-L-E-A-D-V-I-S-O-R-S.com. 7M Securities does not make any investment recommendation for any company or security that was discussed, nor does the firm offer any tax advice. Consult your tax advisor for any tax matter that might apply to you or your business. 